Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Optive Theology Podcast. My name is Andy Schmidt here with Nick Gibson, and we're back. It's been about a month since I've put out a podcast because we've been busy. Been, um, I don't know. I've I've been doing some other podcasting stuff. Nick has been being a pastor at a church, which is which is busy as well. So we're back, anyways. And I, and and today we're going to talk about a topic that I think is really interesting, and I think a lot of people will be interested in talking about is how should Christians interact with politics? I think. We've seen in the last year or two, just with you have like COVID and then you had the all the stuff that happened this last summer. And then you have the elections that happened, the elections that are coming up, you midterms. And it's like politics are everywhere. People are talking about them. And and I think that there seems to be a lot of confusion around Christian circles on how should how should we interact with these things? Should Christians interact with politics at all? How important are politics? Should we just stick? truly to the Bible? Does Jesus do anything about politics? Like, what's the deal here? So I think these are some of the questions that we're going to be discussing. I think I will just start out right out the gate, Nick, by asking, like, do you think Christians should interact with politics? So we'll just start there. I, th- I think that um, politics in the, in the broader definition is part of being social creatures. Right. The, the polis where we get that word politics from is a Greek word for the city. Mm-hmm. So um, we live in the city. We are public creatures. And as much as some of us are introverted, would love to live on sides of mountains and so on. Uh, so on. I think I think it's um, Robinson Crusoe, right, where he gets stranded on a desert island. And then he, he, he does as much as he can to create a fairly primitive life. And then he, like, finds another dude. I think his name is Friday. Mm-hmm. Right. And with two people, they can do like four times or 10 times as much, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the idea is that Defoe was, was clarifying that, that economy and politics are the exponentially good product of multiple human beings choosing to cooperate for their mutual good. Yeah. And so politics, in a sense, is the means by which we all live together, um, especially in the in the um, in units of people where we don't know everybody personally and we're not making decisions based on our relationships of affection. So, so it's wider than the family and in in most cases, somewhat wider than the tribe. Human beings are sort of pre-programmed a little bit for um, groups of like 150 or less. And so when Mm. you get us into groups that are 150 or more, um, we interact with those groups in a fundamentally different way than we did um, when the group was smaller than 150, where we could basically know everybody. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, okay. So, okay. So, so you kind of just gave us like a basic fundamental breakdown of this is what politics is like fundamentally. Like this is just what it is. And so human, be- human relationships beyond the tribal or 150 people where you can know everybody and mm-hmm. it's like familial, you get beyond that and there's gotta be something besides clubbing people to death that you do. <laughs> Essentially, right. that is politics, and so that's that sounds more like what we're seeing here in um, the United States. Because, like, when you talk about just the fundamental basics of of politics, right, you're talking about uh, above 150 people. Now we have to basically we have to realize how the civilization is going to work together to to build and survive, and not everybody killing each other. And so, when I look at politics right now in the United States, it seems like everybody's there you got i'll break i'll break it down really quickly for people you have the conservatives and you have the progressives 
And under the conservative camp, you have the Republican Party. And under the progressive camp, you have the Democrat, the Democratic Party. And those are the two main ones right now. And then you have obviously like the, the, there's like a socialist uprising part, like a, a more socialist party that's that's rising up and with Bernie Sanders and the squad. And then you do have like all right kind of crazy like conspiracy theorists out here and there that I know of. But but basically, I think that's kind of the the landscape of what we're dealing with here in the United States. And so the question is, the question is this, is this seems to have broken down into every tiny little institution in our, in our entire civilization. You have churches who are more conservative and more liberal and more progressive and this and that. And it's like now, now we kind of see the scriptures through our views of our political worldview, not the political Mm -hmm. worldview through the scriptures. And so how should, how should Christians then interact with, with, with that idea, with the, the modern American politics, it's very dirty and it's very messy. And that's yeah. a big question. So just go wherever you want with that. Yeah. So I, I want to clarify that we're already narrowing this down to American politics right now. And so it's important yes. to understand that Christian faith is for the whole world, for every human being. Sure. And so God has so set up the death and resurrection of Christ, the reality of the church and his written word and all of the, all the things mm-hmm. in which he's tried to show us where to go and how to be mm-hmm. so that Christians living at every time could be faithful to him. And so the Bible has no um, explicitly preferred governance. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It, it, it doesn't yeah. like teach democracy, even though democracy existed when the new Testament was written, everything existed when the new Testament was written. And so right. God didn't say, Oh, look, you can't be a good Christian unless you already live in a democracy because that would have ruled out most of human humanity. Right. Yeah. And so we, partly because of that, there's no occasion in the new Testament to teach us about politics as we are now asking the questions, right? Most of the New Testament documents are called occasional letters. So, right, there was a reason Paul or somebody was writing to somebody. And so he's writing on the basis of that occasion. He's teaching into that particular thing. In virtually no cases in the New Testament is the apostle intentionally telling people what to do in terms of public policy or what to believe in terms of how governments should be structured. He's basically saying, look, you already live under a totalitarian dictatorship, essentially, and you have to make nice with government. And so what you should do is you should obey God, but you should honor the government that you're under and be as good a citizen mm-hmm. as you can possibly be while being having your primary convictional identity being that you're a citizen of heaven. You give yeah. to God what is God's and you give to Caesar what's Caesar's, right? To, mm-hmm. to narrow it down to Jesus' pithy phrase. So as, as I want everybody to know that. So if I go, oh, here's, here's what we talk about just America. I don't want people to think that our view of Christianity is so is real narrow. And I also want them to understand why we shouldn't expect there to be Bible verses to tell us exactly how governance should function in the 21st century. Can you mm-hmm. imagine God doing that and people 2,000 years ago reading it? Like you can't even you couldn't have, you right. couldn't have had socialism in the ancient world. There's there was no possibility of it. You yeah. can only have socialism after the after the industrial revolution, right? When people become so productive through machines. Mm-hmm. that we don't all have to be farmers and we have a diverse economy, all that kind of stuff. You can start talking about something like socialism before that was just impossible. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. So and the same thing is true of, of, of like diverse economic stuff and all, all kinds of things. So in that sense, we, I just want to make sure that's clear. So, so okay. you want to focus on yeah. Christians in well, America right now? Well, yeah. I mean, I think that's most of the people who listen to this podcast are Christians in America right now until we're at the top of the uh, top yeah. of the podcast charts. Um, that's what we'll be dealing with. So <laughs> yeah. I, I think I think that that's most people. Obviously, we're in the United States and it's like and what we all see right now when when it comes to politics is just 
well, I don't know. I don't really care what side of the, the political aisle you're on. Everybody is not very happy with how things are going politically yeah. for the last probably 10 years, especially, but more ramped up in the last two years. Ever since COVID, it was like now everything's just exploding. And so these are things I think that it's time that I think that Christians need to have some serious conversations about about this, because I in my own family and I've seen other people's families politics have started to drive people apart from each other and destroy families and destroy churches in a lot of ways. And yeah, how do we interact with that? I mean, that's probably because American progressivism in certain of its organs has intentionally told people to break up their families over political ideas. Right. Um, And so that's, I mean, that's a really sad, that's a really Mm -hmm. sad um, thing. and, And that's not that, um, to say that other people of other political persuasions besides progressivism don't drive people away by their behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some ideologies like socialist, communistic, anarchistic, and progressivistic that have actually made it part of how they believe people should live in the world. That as opposed to a tolerance-based view, um, that a that a um, that if you don't believe in me, I will inflict upon you social costs. And I will behave that way even within the bonds of natural affection, like the family has become right. part of those ideologies. And it had sl- it slipped its way into progressivism. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a very inhuman thing. I think now I think there's inhuman things about the alt-right. I just think they're different things. Yeah. Does that make sense? Okay. So let, let's just break this down. I mean, here's what I want to do. What is there? I, this is a question I've always been curious about biblically speaking. I know that you kind of just talked about this, but, Okay, it seems to me like there are certain political systems and governmental systems that actually just don't work for anybody and really hurt a lot of people. And my question here is, is there a right way to do government biblically? And I know that's almost it might seem like a ridiculous question or impossible question, but it's like there's seems to be like there's a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things. Yeah. So I, I would say maybe that there's like a group of, quote, right ways to do things that aren't that aren't um foolish and inhuman and then there's a group of ways to do things that appear to be foolish and inhuman um or there are some ways of doing things that explicitly disobey the commands of god um but most of these discussions about about what we're doing end up being what we we call prudential arguments Mm -hmm. so you take the principles from god's word or principles that you can know from historical outcomes or scientific ideas of economics or politics or the humanities or, or not well the humanities aren't scientific or like um, well-structured ideas from the humanities and then you're like putting them all together and trying to figure out what's the right thing mm-hmm. and you have to use judgment and reason and we call that prudence right like figuring out what to do and in most cases um most decisions are going to be prudential so like that the government shouldn't murder innocent people that's not prudential that is a direct like direct command of god yeah. um that people should have the right to do what's good under any government regime mm-hmm. is uh, is direct any mm-hmm. anytime that doesn't happen that's that's unjust right so right. um you've got to prove that the thing is good mm-hmm. right but yeah um but they should have the right to do the good uh there, there, there's a there's obviously a lot more um there also the scripture teaches that um the uh the government has rights whatever form of government it is it does have the right to certain authorities has the right to certain taxations. It has the right to punish the evildoer and to commend hello, those who hello. do good. Uh, it has the right to to engage in certain administrative functions and so on. And so I think that that all um, 
has to be recognized in a governmental system. So Christian anarchists, I think, would be a wrong position to have, as well as um, Christian communists. So you might argue that communism is wrong, mm-hmm. fairly directly. But once you get to a question of like, should income be shared? Hmm. Um, now, I don't think the Bible teaches that anywhere relative to governance, that governance sh- government sh- should do that. But it also doesn't um, very directly disallow it. And a number of the ways, things that were done, like, for example, with the tithe and so on, were redistributive in their nature in the Old Testament, for example. And so now you're getting in a different kind of argument of like, what ideas from the Bible should we put together to understand our Mm -hmm. political, economic methodologies of redistribution? Yeah, so... If there should be any... Well, that's that's interesting, because you you talked about, and I think, I don't know if it got in here, because I just started... Uh, you said that like anarchy is is wrong because God had set up a sort of government that like any t- any type of anarchy just isn't going to be biblical. And so the question here is, right. what type of government did God set up in the Old Testament? I think is this where we should start then with looking at the government? Because I think wasn't wasn't God supposed to be the king for the Israelites, and then the Israelites wanted a person to be king, mm-hmm. and so. What type of government would you, what, right. what did, what did God set up? I'm trying to figure that out and should we interact? With you? Yeah. So, okay. So the way, where I'm going with this is not going to be this, this is the right, this is the perfect mm-hmm. government. So Christians talk about the Bible being an unfolding revelation. And so, um, so, so for example, if somebody asks you, why, why, why do you believe in a Bible in which slavery is affirmed? Mm-hmm. Right. The Christian answer to that is the Bible is an unfolding revelation. And in the particular moment in time in which um, slavery is not praised or instituted, but it's regulated, but not regulated out of existence in the Old Testament, why can I believe in a God who does that? And the answer is, is that in the flow and transformation through history, there's, there's no social security system. There's none of the institutions that make slavery functionally obsolete in terms of ways of dealing with debt, the existence of capital, and all those sorts of things don't yeah. exist. And so slavery was the social safety net. It was also the mechanism for handling debt before there was like, there were capital yeah. markets and all these kinds of things. And so, um, so regulating it w- was different, right? Also, it wasn't, it wasn't lifelong and so on. Right. And so like, but, but I wouldn't say now, Hey, if we could set up a government, we would do it just like the old mm-hmm. Testament and it would include slavery. I wouldn't mm-hmm. say that. Right. I would say that we exist in a time period in which, um, we can set up a government that's as Christian as we can make it with all these different principles, but I don't think we would utilize slavery. And I think we would use the Bible to say we would, we take out the book of Philemon and say, listen, if my fellow citizen is my brother, then under what circumstances can I enslave them or can I control their bodies? Um, so for example, the Bible knows nothing of prison, for example. Yeah. So it, so it allows for a productive slavery, a, a productive imprisonment where somebody pays off their mm-hmm. debts but it has no concept of imprisoning somebody it knows nothing mm-hmm. of that. Right. Because the idea that you would like put somebody in some kind of unproductive capsule that then everybody else has to pay for. Like, it's just an unknown mm-hmm. idea. It's just an idea that we came up with a couple hundred years yeah. ago. Well, on the other mm-hmm. side of that, I want to, because in that same story, and this is something that I I've been thinking about lately and I have no idea if there's any validity to this, but like when, the people wanted a, they wanted a king. They wanted a human king. The Israelites wanted somebody to be their human king. They wanted to follow somebody. Do you think, now th- I'm just going to, I'm going to call it this. Here's what I'm going to call these two things. I'm going to call things, there's, I'm going to say macro level sin 
which is like sin playing itself out in the large civilization or the, the populace, the large population. And then there's like micro level sin, mm-hmm. sin playing itself out on the individual level. Um, what, and I don't know if those are the, the actual right ways of saying that, but that's what I'm going to call them. Do you think that macro level sin, like, like the pinnacle of macro level sin would be like a tyrannical government? Like the people wanted a leader and so God gave him a leader, but as we saw that that actually didn't go so well over a long period of time, the leaders got worse and worse. And do you think that like, is there any validity to what I just said? I'm, yeah. I don't know. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's true that governments can be tyrannical and people are warned about that. Um, however, I don't know that tyranny is the main idea throughout first and second Samuel, first and second Kings and Chronicles. I think that, um, so, so, so first of all, I wanted to go back to this, this issue of like what's in the Torah before we get to first Samuel eight, where the passage you're talking about. So in the Torah, you have this whole system of government, uh, this like way pe- the people are going to be God's people. And I think it's important to understand that that the Torah is both situated and universal, hmm. that there are certain ways in which the universal everlasting character of God himself that is perfect in its moral views and is perfect in its wisdom is revealed. And simultaneously, a lot of that stuff is revealed situated in a particular moment in time in terms of like the, the maturation of human societies, where we were economically, all, the, what market capital existed. All, I mean, all these kinds of things that are very different from now. Right. And so Christian as unfolding revelation has the theological resources to look back and see what is the unchanging truth of God's character in those govern in those governmental situations and what is not. And so most Christians would say that you can, if you read the Torah properly and bring its truths into the present, you don't have to believe in slavery. In fact, you would, you expressly would not mm-hmm. believe in slavery um, is appropriate, but you might believe in helping the poor. Um, you may, you may believe that, um, that having a very muscular executive is not a great idea. Um, you might understand the difference between the rule of law and the rule of men, which is one I, one concept from the, from the Torah that was brought forward into the present. Because if you look at how the Torah is set up, you have a judicial system that is, that is essentially jury based. Like it's people in your tribe are judging you. Right. And then it just moves up as high as it needs to move up. But there's a a law that everybody has to live by, which is, which is not a government, right? There's no administration. It's just, it's there and everybody's just supposed to obey it. Mm -hmm. You're not supposed to have have anybody enforcing it. That's the whole point because a virtuous society needs no government. Right. And if you're not a virtuous society, there is no government government that can govern you. That's like, that's never spoken explicitly, but many commentators have, have noticed that. Right. Um, Edmund Burke is maybe one of the more famous ones in the modern era, but lots of people have understood that. Mm-hmm. So you, you get some of these ideas about the basics of God's morality. When you get to first Samuel eight, you, you get what you said, right? There is no executive, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. There's, so the person who functions in the, in the most executive role is the prophet that is Samuel himself. Mm-hmm. And he functions as a charismatic leader with authority directly from God. Mm-hmm. So he will, he will step in when an executive is needed in a particular moment. And then he steps right back out of that situation. Right. Right. So when there's a battle, he steps in, he, he calls the people together, he leads them out to battle and tells them what to do. And then they go do it. And then he steps back and everything disbands. And they don't like that. Mm-hmm. The, the people want more of a continuity and they want to know like who they're following and who they believe in, whose job is this and that sort of thing. And so they want a king. Mm-hmm. And so what Samuel does in first Samuel eight is he says, listen, one, you shouldn't need a king. Mm hmm. First of all, you shouldn't need somebody to tell you what to do. 
you should be able to take care of the needs of your society yourself. And you should handle them on the most local level possible because that's the way the system was set up. Everything was handled in the family first, then in the land area you are, then in the tribe. And then it would work its way up to higher levels of governance judicially in terms of the judiciary. Mm -hmm. But it was never supposed to do that. You're supposed to handle it like where you live with the people you live around. Which I think that can be made the connection to Jesus too in Matthew. And somewhere in Matthew where Jesus is like, if you have an issue with somebody, a Christian, then you go to them one-on-one, then bring three people and then go to the, so you're working your way up rather than working your way down. Right. Yeah. Right. And and that's, and I think you could argue that what is said for the church there is also proper governance, right? That you should be as, as non litigious as possible. Mm -hmm. Right. You should try to work things up. But like when he gets, you get to Samuel's, one of the things that Samuel says is that there's an inherent problem with Kings. Mm Mm-hmm. That is, once you create an executive branch that's that's muscular enough to help you, you've created an executive branch that's that's muscular enough to take from you. <laughs> yeah, and it takes, and it will take the first of the best of everything. Mm-hmm. And so, um, if you read that chapter, that phrase "he will take" shows up one, two, three, four, five, six times. Mm-hmm. He will take your the best of your sons and daughters. He will take the best of your sons for his warriors, the best of your daughters to be his perfumers, cooks, and bakers, the best of your fields, vineyards, and olive groves, the best of your grain, and he will take the best of all this for his own use. And mm-hmm. then he will take a tenth of all of your flocks. And you yourselves, this is the last phrase, and you yourselves will become his slaves. Mm-hmm. So Samuel's argument is that he's Samuel's not arguing this prophetically, like I can see the future that God is letting me see. Samuel's arguing it in anthropologically. He's saying this is how human beings behave. Mm-hmm. When you give people authority to rule over you, eventually they rule over you. <laughs> yeah. And you become their slaves right. because there will be a sliding, mm-hmm. right? Because as Lord Acton said, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah. Right? You, you, like nobody's good enough to be king. That's one mm-hmm. of the reasons why God is so special. Mm-hmm. It sounds to me just and like so, the founding yeah. fathers. I mean, like when when you're describing right. what, what Samuel, said. if men were angels, yeah. we wouldn't need government, right? And and Adams is like, well, so here's my. I was going to ask you this because Adams says something a little bit different, but he, but he says like John Adams said something along the lines of uh, a democratic republic will only work under a virtuous people, uh, governed by a virtuous people, yes. and so that that that's kind of confusing to what you said is that like a virtuous people wouldn't need a government. Um, and I know that this might be a little right. bit off track, the, off track. Right. But, but the reason Adams and Washington and everybody else thought that yeah. was because they created the most minimalist government that they thought could could function mm-hmm. um, relative to three disparate states. Right. That when they said the, the, the United States of America, they literally meant the 13 countries that are united. When they yeah. said state, they meant it technically. Yeah. That's why they would refer to these United States. Yeah. Not the it was these, yeah, because there were thirteen countries yeah. that were independent countries, right? That were doing certain things together. That is mainly defend themselves from, like, being invaded. Mm-hmm. That was the main thing the government was for. Mm-hmm. I mean, people forget this, but like, in, like I don't think it was like eighteen forty or something like that. Um, the amount of the amount of tax that you paid to the federal government amounted to, and I think in like nineteen ninety eight dollars, like twenty dollars. <laughs> That'll be nice. Like that was a whole, the whole amount you would pay to the federal government, right? Mm-hmm. Because all they did was the 13 enumerated powers and right. mainly not even those. They mainly just had a standing army, made sure we didn't get attacked. Mm-hmm. And then they tried to regulate interstate commerce. 
right? Well, because the government has so interpreted the Constitution over many years to become larger and larger and larger and mm -hmm. larger and larger. Now it's bigger than, you know, it's this enormous thing that we pay for the first and our best to so that at times we feel like we're its slaves. So that that's my, okay. So that's how we got here. And that's not, now we, now in a lot of ways we have to interact with that. We, we just, we're forced to interact with that. Like the government's, the government is way too big in, in terms of the, what the founding fathers would have wanted or what they wrote about what they would have wanted in the United States. And so you have to ask yourself this question and I'm going to, because the money that we're paying taxes to now isn't just for the military. It's not, it's not just for these basic, it's not for the police officers. It's, it's for oh, yeah. so much more than that. Now, now we're paying money yeah. that could potentially go to Planned Parenthood. And this is a, this is something that yeah. this isn't, I don't think this is like a political talking point. I think this is something that the church has tried to like shy away from is when, when Paul was saying, give to Caesar, what is Caesar's or when Jesus said that, and Paul is saying, you know, that in and Paul, you know, was telling us to not, you know, not do an uprising against the government, basically, like, you know, this battle's not against the flesh and blood. Uh, the question that I have then is like, what happens when the money that you're paying to the government starts to fund things that you that you know are like f biblically fundamentally wrong, like abortion? We know that that's just a it's, it's murder, and so. What do you do then? Do you not pay your taxes? Like, good luck with that. What do you do? Okay, so so I want to go back for a minute to, it seemed like you jumped from what I said about the rule of law and what tyrannical, how a tyrannical executive will grow and mm -hmm. make us slaves to the founding fathers to where we are today. And I, what I want, I want yeah. to hasten to say right. that when American liberals and progressives go to the same Torah, mm -hmm. they find in it principles they believe they are embodying. Yeah in present government. For example, there were things in the Torah that are, were redistributive by nature. So the Torah absolutely supports mm -hmm. the idea of private property and personal initiative, but it also supports like mercy for the poor, mm -hmm. the rewriting of debts every seven years and every 50 years, um, making sure that there's an enfranchisement of the poor towards the means of production. So like right. every 50 years, all the land went back to the clans and people that originally owned it. Mm -hmm. So if you didn't have land for you to work on so that you kept falling into seven year cyclical slavery, mm -hmm. every 50 years, all this land went back. Mm -hmm. Right. And even after seven years, you were supposed to be set up by the person who released you from that indentured servitude so that you could earn your own living. Right. Right. So there's a number of principles in the Torah that are, I don't want to say that they're progressive, just like I wouldn't want to say the mm -hmm. other ones are conservative, but they, but they are at, you know, if you go back to the Bible and you look for what, you, what something that agrees with you, you'll find it right and because god isn't right. yeah because god cared about the poor and he realizes that yeah. being poor isn't all the poor's mm -hmm. fault he also realized there are people poor and it is their fault yeah and that there are rich people who are rich because they were incredibly Inherited productive it. yeah it, it, right and other people because they were knaves yeah right and the mm -hmm. bible says all of this explicitly mm -hmm. right some people become rich because they're literally the wicked right. and others because like boaz because he was incredibly productive mm -hmm. or david because he defended the people at the risk of his own life yeah and he profited from it in certain circumstances. So I think, I think, I mean, one of the things that the Bible does demonstrate is that life is a very, is very complicated. Mm -hmm. And if you go back to the Bible simplistically, you're just going to see what you want to see and you're not going to see anything else. Right. Right. So I, I just want to make sure that's really clear before I jump in. Cause I don't want people to think that, Oh, all Nick, all these 
all these people like Nick can see right. is the stuff that they want to see. And that's not true. Well, it's very, there, it's, there is so much there. It's very interesting too. Cause even when looking at, you look at the new Testament, you look at like acts two, and, and a lot of church planters and a lot of churches will be like, well, we, we want an acts two type of church. Like that's what we want. We want our people to be generous in these ways and giving to each other. And the, the acts two, two, acts two, um, 42 through 47, I think is, is what it is. And it's yeah. just the, the believers form it's a community. Boys, yeah. yeah. And, and it's like, absolutely. That's what we want. But acts two doesn't really explain how to get there. And I think that this is, this is the same with, with the, so how do you get, how do you get to a society like that? And I think that this is the question where it's like, you talked about, about mm -hmm. human nature, like obviously a virtuous people would do that so on a macro level how do you create a virtuous people is that even possible or should it just all be focused on the individual yeah well i mean partly the setup there is a confusion of categories like that the the people in act two that shared everything in common for the good of all people and the maintenance of the poor mm -hmm. they weren't a polis they were an ecclesia that's the wrong greek word you know okay. they, they weren't like this this they weren't a city yeah they were a group of called out right. people for a particular purpose hmm. and so because they were, and part of that gets back to why America's having so much trouble. The people in Acts 2 that were doing this were united by a set of convictional beliefs that they all held right. together and that ordered their lives clearly. Thus making them the and church so of, of Jesus. Right. 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 But, but, they, but there wasn't like, I mean, there wasn't a left-wing group and a right-wing group. Like they, right. they understood <laughs> yeah. what they believed in mm -hmm. and they had clear leaders that lived with integrity and mm -hmm. teaching them, but they didn't have political control. So like if, if, um, Peter said, do this. He couldn't make them do it. Right. Right. He could just tell them to do it. And then they had to choose to do it. Right. Yeah. So, I think um, later on in some sense, when, when the structural church got set up, like, like the hierarchy of the actual local church got set up, there was some more, there's now ability for people to kick people out of the church due to like church discipline. But at that time you're saying yeah. that's not, nobody had that authority technically, they were just doing what they well no no there, but there's a big difference between having executive governmental control over somebody and being able to kick them kick out them of out of a church. church sure okay yeah right i, got, I right. mean that's one of the fundamental yeah. differences like when people talk about like what are the differences between the old and new testament well, one of them is the penalty for sins yeah right like right. when when the people of god are supposed to be the governmental rule of god i.e the torah the old testament yeah right? If somebody engaged in certain sins, the result was they were stoned. That is, they were killed. Because if you're part of the mm. people of God, you're one of God's people. Right. Right. And you're in the, Whereas and that was the, a, that was a, God's people in the Old Testament was actually a civilization. The, 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 right. the Jewish Every nation. Every single person was a representative of what it meant to belong to God. Yeah. See, and so in some of the places in the Old Testament, when you sinned, it said that you had to be stoned. But in most places, it just used the phrase, they had to be, quote, cut off. Mm-hmm. There's there's some controversy over whether in, in which context or at all, whether that means cut off like killed or cut off like kicked out of the community. Mm -hmm. Like they have to leave the people of God. Yeah. And in the New Testament, it's very clear. It's the second. It's that you don't get to be one of the people who publicly says this is what it means to belong to the Christ. Hmm. But that's all the authority the elders have. Like even mm -hmm. even today, like we do church discipline at our church. Mm -hmm. But the maximum amount of authority, I can't take anybody's house away. I yeah. can't take anybody's money away. I can just say you don't get to be part of this church and tell the world 
I represent Jesus the Christ. Yeah, if you could go to a different church and you could be a part and you could right. tell the people and th- and that's usually what what probably happens is and that is what most people do, yes. Yeah, they go to a different church and I think a lot of churches don't even do church discipline anymore because it doesn't make people feel most good. Most churches do not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, cuz they're afraid somebody'll complain, mm-hmm. write out stuff on Facebook right. and then there'll be like a news channel that will come by and say, "Do you pe- do you shun people?" Yeah. Are you do right. you practice shunning? Just completely. And they have no idea what that even means. Right. Right. <laughs> Making it into this Amish community. Yeah. With the, like, do you kick? Do you at the Democratic Party of Madison kick out Republicans? Right. Like they pretend to be Democrats and then they run on your tickets. Of right. course you do. Everybody has exactly. exclusionary principles. Exactly. You got to check for moles and and everything. I mean, I was checked as as in the campaign that I'm doing, but I think that like, okay, so then again, back to that, that earlier question is, so you have a government that's set up here in the United States is what we're dealing with. What do you do at a convictional level? I'm like, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm a Christian. I, everybody who listens to this podcast knows I'm conservative. Um, but Mm -hmm. in my political viewpoints, but I think, uh, what about, what about like abortion again? This is a, this is a, I don't care if you're conservative or progressive, but that's a, just don't murder babies. What do you do about giving your money to the government who's doing that? I think back then, back in, in Jesus' time, were they giving I mean, were they giving their were their tax dollars going towards things that were similar to this? I mean, they obviously weren't performing abortions. Maybe they were. I don't know. Um, so the answer is both yes and yes. So yes, there were abortions in the first century. Most of them were done uh, her- herbicologically. So they were done by um, what were called potions. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were certain, like in, this was true throughout the ancient world, actually. Uh, there was a, a passed down knowledge among women in particular, but among um, herbalists of what kind of plants would cause abortions. Huh. And um, this was very important because I can't remember if it was Seneca or Cicero who said that in Rome, a chaste wife could not be found. Mm-hmm. So if you have that kind of promiscuity culture that Rome did, and if women would get in trouble for becoming pregnant on the basis of other men having sex with them, hmm. you had to have mechanisms of abortion. It was extremely right. important. And this is true globally, not just then, but like in the 1700s when John Wesley comes to to Georgia and he really wants to reach out to the American Indians. Mm-hmm. He was in, in one of his journals, he's talking with a chief of an American Indian tribe. And the American Indian tri- tribal chief says, we know that God won't reveal himself to us entirely. Because we know we sin against the great spirit because we kill our children. And by that, he meant mm. in that context, um, like herbicidal abortions among their women. That they they engaged in plant-based, potion-based abortions in the Native American tribes. Which, which the Native, Native Americans, I mean, people don't want to talk about this, but the agricultural methodologies of Native Americans were extremely primitive. I mean, extremely primitive. Mm-hmm. Um, there were nothing like European ones at that point in time. Partly because they didn't have metal and all kinds. Yeah. So, like when when Plymouth ba- when Plymouth Colony began, um, they found like extremely malnourished corn plants that they had packed like dead dolphins around. So, like dead dolphins would wash up on the beach, yeah. and they'd cut like the guts and meat off of them, and then they'd pack them around the corn plants to fertilize them because they didn't ha- they didn't know anything about composting. They didn't know yeah. anything about like how to create large amounts of fertility. So. That's why their populations had to be really low because it took many acres to feed one person. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so, and so there were, there were certain practicalities why native Americans wanted to abort a lot of their naturally conceived children, but the, but the chief knew Mm -hmm. it was wrong. And he told Wesley, God, whatever God 
could reveal by himself, he won't reveal to us because we kill our children. Mm -hmm. So herbicidal-based abortions were part of most global societies, um, but they didn't always work. They also could be fairly dangerous, mm -hmm. which is why you had a lot of um, infanticide where children were exposed. But if you were a woman who had conceived another man's child mm -hmm. because your husband was off on like a five-month trip mm -hmm. and he was going to come home and you were going to be four months pregnant, you couldn't convince him to throw away the child because you'd be pregnant without him. So you would get one of these abortions even if it was dangerous. Hmm. If if you could play it off that this was his child, then it might be safer to just carry the child to term, have the child, then just expose the child or sacrifice it to a god. Yeah. Which is fairly common in the ancient world. So, I mean, in, in Rome and I guess in the ancient world, where people... Was that like federally funded? I mean, were these yeah, things? no. See, I see. I don't think. Though, I, I don't see. That's where I, I, th I think it's not equatable because it wasn't a state action. Yeah. Um. The state didn't. The state didn't provide health care. Right? Yeah. Because remember, up until the 1940s, mm -hmm. 1940s, mm -hmm. the bar, the biggest expense of American hospitals was linens. Hmm. There's a reason why our grandparents thought hospitals were places people went to die. Oh. Like the grand, like yeah. old people, you say that. Listen, I'm not going to the hospital. That's where people go to die. That's because we didn't know how to do anything. Yeah, so they just right? dealt After with the, it at home. Right. Yeah, I mean, literally. Remember, antibiotics came about about the time of World War II. Mm -hmm. Okay, before yeah. that, you just died of stuff, and so um, the government. I mean, there was no healthcare for the government to, to give. Yeah, you understand, right? So, um, but here's what was happening: Rome was fighting what we would consider completely unjust wars of conquest and enslaving vast numbers of people. Right. What, what do you, um, we, I mean, do, can we consider those Gaul and Germania and so on? Can we consider those to be like unjust wars of conquest? Is it, it like, isn't that yes. what everybody did I, back I then? So. I don't think that makes it right. I think that it's still profoundly evil because Rome was not fighting to defend themselves. Like oh, Rome yeah. was fighting against these people, but they, because they believed the destiny of Rome was to rule all peoples. And, they were very, I mean, you can see this just in the Bible when they had control of Jerusalem and, yeah. and Israel, that their taxation, their the judgments they incurred, the way they used people mm -hmm. was profoundly hated by everybody. Yeah. And that was true, not just in Israel, it was true in Germania, it was true in Turkey, it was true in North Africa, it was right. true everywhere. Yeah, people I hated the Romans. And so, and so when Christians paid their taxes to the Roman government, they were funding that. So do you think that- So it, I mean, the Roman government was right. doing terrible things. So is imperialization, is that, is that like a sinful thing? I, I don't know. It, or does it depend on who's imperializing a, a, a situation? Because people hate, you just said that people just hated the Roman Empire because they were just horrible to whoever they would capture and then take their land. They were exploitative in They're every exploitative. Yeah. explanation of that word. So is imperialization something that we shouldn't? Because, okay, so I'm asking this because... United should the like these are all questions that people are asking in in terms of the United States here in America. Should we be funding abortions? Should we be imperializing different places? And sh should we be like putting our U.S. embassies all over the world and like doing these or whatever happened in Afghanistan? Like, yeah. So okay. So that's like that's an a uh, equivocation fallacy, right? What counts for imperialism? Sure. Right. So in, Roman imperialism was we're literally going to come with our swords yeah. and we're going to take over your country and you're going to be our slave. Sure. We're gonna we're gonna choose one of our people to be your governor. Mm -hmm. You're gonna pay taxes to the Roman government. Yeah. And we're gonna extract wealth from you. Okay, that's what that means. So when the Dutch went to Central Africa and cut off black people's hands if they didn't bring enough rubber in from the rubber tree fields. Mm -hmm. That's imperialism. That's yeah. exploitative. 
it's holistically wrong. Mm. And remember, it was Protestant Christian missionaries that wrote back to European peoples to report what was happening because European people were not okay with Africans being treated that way. It was just, it was happening in Africa. Yeah. They had no idea. There was no CNN. There mm. wasn't the internet. So when these missionaries wrote back and said what was happening, it was that it was stopped. There was a huge groundswell of hatred and anger for that. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, if, if by imperialism, you mean we take genetically engineered forms of golden rice that have a vitamin in it that keeps kids from going blind and we sell it very cheaply to farmers in India. Right. And there is some profit made on the, on the sale of those grains. That's not imperialism. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Right? right. So like, it, and obviously there's a number of things that happen in between. And so like what behaviors are exploitative and which are not is a, is a convo like, like when China goes into Vietnam and wants to build a dam mm -hmm. so that it can get hydroelectricity. And then after 30 years, it will hand the don't dam over to Vietnam. Mm -hmm. Is that exploitative or isn't it? Well, the American position is in the army Corps of engineers, if the Chinese build a 30 year dam, it's exploitative. But if they build a hundred year dam, it isn't. Hmm. And They're one of the right. things like, yeah. for example, my brother's an army Corps of engineer person. Right. One of the things he had to do was oversee some of these dams that China was building because they were going to build 30 year dams. Right. And by the time they were done getting their power from it, they were going to fall apart. Yeah. And so the Americans went in and was like, we're just going to watch you build this. Make sure you build a hundred or 120 year dam. Yeah. yeah. Right. And that's, and, and there are people in America who call that American imperialism because we are getting involved in what's happening to these rivers in, Vietnam, but we're working with the Vietnamese government. We're working against the exploitative nature of what the Chinese government is doing. Yeah. Because communism, it's funny, communism should be the least imperialistic, the least exploitative, but in actuality, most of China's international actions are very exploitative because in China, communism is also racist. Because Han Chinese are better than everybody else in their minds. It's essentially like Han supremacist. Yeah. And Vietnamese people aren't Han Chinese. Right. Right. Korean people aren't Han Chinese. Mm -hmm. And so they don't care. Right. Right. And so, you know, but, but that's an issue with communism. It's get, it gets spoiled by human nature wherever it goes. Yeah, sure. Right. So, so, so I think, so I, so imperialism I think is wrong because imperialism is supposed to be de by definition exploitative. Mm -hmm. When you have a relationship with other countries that is um, symbiotic, mm -hmm. that's by definition not imperialism. Right. Totally. And so not automatically wrong. Mm -hmm. So then let's like our relationship with Puerto Rico isn't imperialism. Right. It's a relationship you know? with Puerto Rico. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so then going back, do we pay taxes? And this is like a point. Blank. So, yeah. So this gets, this actually is connected to a progressivist assumption that you are responsible for everything you do as it goes down the line through the institutions that exist, mm -hmm. which is why like the concept of white supremacy is so strong for them. <laughs> that like, if you are part of a system, you are by definition complicit in that system. Right now, most people, most ethicists throughout the history of the world have not accepted that the idea that like you are anything that you are connected to, you are complicit in one of the best, actually, actually one of the best, um, depictions of this is in the show the good place yeah have you ever seen it yeah I've, but like yeah. in the third it like in like the third season they're trying to like get out of pur purgatory or something and they're mm -hmm. before this judge and they find out that nobody's gone to heaven for like 400 years <laughs> because everybody has more bad than good on their record yeah and what they find out is is that like you get credited everything bad through like all these diffuse connections. So if you like, you buy a tomato oh. and it wasn't properly sourced, like you just did something wrong. Right. And like the like skinny white girl goes, yeah, there's even the sandwich. That, like if you eat it, you hate gay people. Yeah. Referring to like right. Chick-fil-A chicken sandwiches. Yeah. Right? They're like, 
that like if you eat it if you go to chick-fil-a and you buy a sandwich then you, and if it's true right. that chick-fil-a has marriage programs that don't explicitly include gay people then you are credited with homophobia and participating in like anti-gay hatred right, right. And, and and the assumption in that show is is that if you think that way nobody's a good person nobody could ever be a good person in a modern society mm-hmm. because you have no idea what the frick is going on yeah and you can't care in circles that diffusely disconnected from you personally well can't right? you i mean yeah you, you can't care you you well okay this is my but that that's what creates the difficult ethical problem because yeah you have some relationship yes to people right. who are not in your tribe right and 150 closest mm-hmm. to you but what is it right how much are you responsible to know right like i've interacted with a christian phd student and he's like listen you should be aware of these things we need to have awareness i'm like dude people have to live their lives how much aware? like you're literally a phd student <laughs> you read books all day long you read articles all day long how much do you think the average mother of three or single mother of three mm-hmm. is supposed to quote make herself aware of so that she can do what you think is ethically right well i guess my answer my answer to that would be how much does she do she should do as much as she spends time on facebook and other social media because i think that this is like our society our society right now the common argument that i hear from young people and people who aren't involved in politics or christians especially who want to just neglect politics altogether is i just don't have enough time to do that i don't have enough time to focus on these things like you say what is it my responsibility to know all these things about the world and about economics and about the political parties and all these philosophies well okay but this gets back this gets back to your complaints about how things are now which I share, which is everybody's such a damn liar yeah, that nobody can know, right? That's the, that's literally the problem, right? Is that it, like, it, it starts out with, I can't win this argument, so I'm going to obfuscate and lie. Mm-hmm. But then what happens is ultimately people find out that you're a liar and then they find out everybody's lying yeah. and then they just don't believe you about anything. Mm-hmm. Right. So like right now, like I'm sure CNN and MSNBC and NBC and all the like liberal news media in America say lots of things that are correct, but I know that they're liars. I know that they tell lies constantly. I know that they literally employ fact checkers to say that their lies are true. Mm-hmm. So now I can't sort through what, what they're is saying true is true not. or false. And a lot of the stuff they're going to say is, is actually technically correct, but it's out of context. It's out of proportion. They're not telling me what I would want to know. If they cared about me knowing what I want to know, I know they're holding out on me. I know they're holding back from me. I know all this stuff, Mm -hmm. right? So, like, now I can't use them as a source of knowledge, right? Right. And, of course, I feel that about a lot of news sources on the right as well Well, because I know that they're playing the game to win. That should have never been the objective from the beginning. That should have never been the objective from the beginning for people to look to these sources. It gets back to this issue. A lack of virtue destroys mm-hmm. the capacity for, for being virtuous. Yes, right. I agree. With, if you don't yes. have virtuous leaders who literally tell the truth no matter what, then nobody knows. Then what's nobody true knows and what's Nobody going can on. know what's to do mm-hmm. because the way you sort out what do I do in this very complex world is you believe somebody who knows what the frick is going on. Yes, that's the only solution to it. Mm-hmm. You you like pick I believe that, and that's what everybody does who's involved. They go okay, that guy who puts out that sub stack, I think he tells the truth. Right. And that person, I agree with their outlook on things and they're basically connected. So I'm going to listen to them. You end up coming up with a constellation of people that you just trust. Right. And then you just keep moving people in and out of that group Mm -hmm. as best you can. That's why it's so hard to move people from right to left is because it's not about an argument. It's about a, a tribe of people they've chosen 
to choose as their trustworthy portals into the complicated world. Right. And they're not just going to throw all that away. Mm-hmm. Right. What happens is over time, people become holistically disillusioned. Like you brought up um, Ruben, Dave Ruben at the beginning. Yeah. Like it was like a multi-year process where he's like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Prog- the progressive left of San Francisco is just trash saying whatever it wants. Right. Yeah. Right. Like, and this, there's a lot of this is lying. And then mm-hmm. he, then he like kind of went down the, the like Jordan Peterson rabbit hole and he really changed yeah. his outlook a lot, yeah. you know? Right. But I think that, but that happened, that was like, that was like a religious conversion. It was like an existential experience mm-hmm. of moving from one tribe to another. It wasn't like a, so like I, it would be great if we could read the New York times and the wall street journal and we would know what to do. Right. That's not the case. Yeah. I, you know, yeah. unless you believe the wall street journal tells the truth. Yeah. So I can read it and then act on in accordance with it. I, well, I think that there's some, some sense of, you did talk. Yeah. You talked about how that's basically what we do is we find these leaders who, who we believe that we can trust. And then in, in America, we vote them in, but how, how do you know who these leaders are, who you can trust? You have to have virtue for yourself so that you can, so that you can ultimately detect virtue in others. And so that you know who to vote right. for and who not to vote for. And I think we, right. I want to bring up this quote that we talked about yeah, before. That's that we talked about. Well, but before you do yeah. that, I want you, you should stay on that point for just a second. Longer, All right, let's because do it. it's critical that like, not only um, do you have to be virtuous to demand the people talking to you will be virtuous, mm-hmm. but also it's by in the process of trying to be virtuous that you can smell out more accurately mm-hmm. who is a scoundrel and who is telling the truth. Yeah. And you have to have a certain amount of memory, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? Well, well, it's all, like, I'll, I'll read that quote in a second, but also when you're, ta- when you're talking about the, how do you get to that virtuous point? I think it's by using what God has given each of us. I mean, being created in the image of God, we aren't idiots. And I think that the, the bottom line is that we all have the capacity for a lot of knowledge and we, for a lot of, of wisdom, more than we probably think that we all do. And we probably have the ability yeah. to, 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 to um, maintain or gain that knowledge and maintain that knowledge and that knowledge and wisdom, you know, playing itself out in virtue in our own lives. And so I think that we need to be to realize this thing is when I was researching some of this stuff and trying to figure some of this stuff out in the last like two years, like what, what have I seen when it comes to like content? Uh, well, I'll call it like content management in, in the world. It's like if you wanted to experience something, you know, a hundred a hundred years ago or 150 years ago, if you wanted to experience us, you wanted to have fun or you wanted to gain information, what would you do? You would either, you would, to have fun, you would go to, you go talk to people, you go talk to other human beings about 150 years ago, or you'd go to like a play if you had enough money, which you probably didn't because that stuff's expensive. So you'd usually just talk to people or you would read a book and usually the book would be you know, back then those books were longer, more, more wordy, a little bit more confusing. And, and you would read this book. This is how you gained your entertainment. And through time, then you, what you had to the 1900s is, uh, I don't exactly know when the TV came out, but the TV started to make its way across the United States, which segmented, you started to get segmented information. Like here's a 30 minute broadcast on the the news today. And it's like, what's the news? Okay. You have, a war here. You have stuff going on over here. It's like 30 minutes. You can't describe all these things in 30 minutes. Well, then what did you get? Yeah. You had the internet come around in the, in the nineties to two thousands to now. And it's like, what did you do? Then you segmented down from 30 minutes to YouTube. You segmented that down to 10 minutes. And so now we think that we can get information yeah. in 10 minutes about things that are way too complex. And then what do you have now? Instagram, TikTok, 
where that 10 minutes has now been segmented down to a minute or 30 seconds. And now we think that we can have, we can know about the war that's happening across the world in 30 seconds and everything that's going on in it, which is ultimately dumb people's brains down to make them think that all you need to understand is about 30 seconds of things. And this is why the, I think the, the human, the, the human detention span is as small as it is right now in the United States. And so Mm -hmm. to combat that, yeah, there has to be, Yeah, you can see that in like four year olds that like they learn one fact and then they immediately feel superior to everybody else. And (laughs) that's kind of how we do politics now is you learn one thing from some like Mm -hmm. email letter newsletter you get and you're like, aha, I I understand that now. Right. Exactly. So, so this, this, I like, this idea of, of, of maintaining virtue, I think is actually directly connected with expanding your ability to think or expanding your ability to pay attention to information and then expand upon information. It's like that one little thing that you figure out based off your newsletter is connected to 60,000 other things. And if you don't understand at least 30,000 of those, you're not going to really understand that one thing to its full capacity, which means, and that doesn't mean that you can't understand it. It means that yeah. you probably can't. Or sufficiently to decide. I mean, for yeah. for most Americans, what they have to do is vote. Right. right. And so what they need to do is to know enough about who to vote for. Right. Or not vote for. And so people, and yeah, go ahead. That's, you just have to get to that threshold to where you're like, okay, I think I should vote for this person, not that person. Right. Mm-hmm. Or if you're going to speak politically, you have to know what you're talking about. But I think it's I think it's easier to vote than to mm-hmm. post stuff on Facebook mm-hmm. to do that correctly. Oh, yeah. You know, because I think you I think you can learn to smell out scoundrels mm-hmm. um, easier than like put together something to say politically that's positive and say, I think this and you should, too. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, and then people will claim I, I, th- I don't have enough time. And the answer to that is not that you don't have enough time. It's you're too lazy. And you don't actually want to take the time because you have a lot of time to do a bunch of things that you shouldn't probably be doing, like sinning and like being on your phone all the time. And this is why I think this is precisely why I'm in a lot of ways extremely fed up with the modern the modern Christian outlook on politics is I hear so many people my age just being like, I'm not going to be involved because you know i'm just going to do the christian thing and and i'm just going to i'm just going to read my bible and i'm like that that doesn't there's so many things that are so absolutely backwards in all these different statements like you're you're not going to do politics you're just going to read your bible like we just discussed it looks like politics are part of what makes up scripture and so you're it's going to have you're going to have a hard time getting away from politics if you're just going to do the christian thing and real quick let me read this this quote because i think G.K. Chesterton, you've quoted him in some of your sermons. He's a pretty cool dude. Yeah. Um, he has this quote. I think it's important for people to think about. He, he says this, People talk about the impatience of the populace, but sound historians know that most tyrannies have been possible because men move too late. It is often essential to resist a tyranny before it exists. It is no answer to say, with the distant optimism, that the scheme is only in the air. A blow from a hatchet can only be parried while it is in the air. And I think that that's a fantastic, I think that that's, that's a great quote. I, if you, if you want to break that down, cause people might not even understand what that means. Yeah. So the, um, one of the difficulties with the concept of, um, conserving the good, which is supposed to be the basis of conservatism mm-hmm. is that one of the problems is, is that where, when and where do you take your stand? 
right? So like, there's some people on the American right that like we're just against. They're just against everything the left does. Yeah. Right? Like if, if yeah. a news person says it, they're against it, right? Yeah. Um, and if the if the news was was against the vaccines, they'd be for them. Right. And if the the news is for the vaccines, they're against them. And right. the reason for that is is that they're like you've got to fight at every line. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is is that if you don't fight at every line. When are you going to fight? Like right. when? When is everybody going to be like, okay, this far and no farther? And <laughs> anybody who tries to reform anything or to keep something from being changed, either conservatively or progressively, the groundswell that leads to successful action to stop something or to get something to go, you have to get everybody together. It's really hard to do that, mm-hmm. right? That's why revolutionary people burn stuff down. <laughs> yeah. They're trying to create a groundswell. Right. Similarly, when people are trying to stop something, they're trying to create a groundswell. Like, weird, how do you do that? And the answer is, conservatively speaking, if, if, some, if something somebody's trying to do something that's bad, they call it progress, but it's actually not. Right. You have to stop the hatchet before it hits you in the skull, not after. Right. And if you're going to do that, you have to do it before it's full grown. You mm-hmm. have to see it happening before it's done happening. Right. And in some ways you have and to make so, assumptions, not assumptions. Right. You will calculate very, there are assumptions, calculated assumptions, predictions, Your predictions. Right. Yeah. You have to pre- predict where it's going. Right. <laughs> That's a better so, word. <laughs> yeah. So like, um, so for example, I've had people say to me like, Nick, aren't you worried about the alt-right because of the. Um, the riot or the demonstration on January 6th. And, and my right. response to them is, no, I'm not. I, I mean, I, it, it, I'm concerned that that happened. Mm-hmm. I'm concerned that it doesn't happen again. But I'm not concerned about that ideology because if I, I just simply want to ask you, what commanding organization of the Heights of American Society does that ideology control? Is it, is it large corporations? Is it universities? Is it news media outlets? Is it, and on and on and on. And the answer is none of them. Mm-hmm. None of them. It controls none of them. And so, yeah, the people acted out and that's bad. And we need to try to make sure that doesn't happen again. Mm-hmm. But that's, it's not like that's where the culture is going. Right. The very small like, subset. The, Those are the very small subset. Right. Yeah. I mean, you've got to have your head under a rock <laughs> to not see that over the course of 30 years, the flow of everything has moved towards what we now call progressivism. It's moved away from liberalism. <laughs> it's moved away from libertarianism and it's yeah. moved away from conservatism and it's yeah. moved toward progressivism culturally. Yeah. Because if you look at universities right. and if, I mean, when I was a kid, you, you were, you, we were being indoctrinated in the nineties. We were progressivism was indoctrinating students at college. Now it's as early as kindergarten. Oh Yeah. Right. And so like you now, have to be out of your mind right. to think that that the last 30 years has led up to the insurrection, the January 6th insurrection. Right. You have to right. be like, these people are a product yeah, of the like, public school system or something. Yeah. It's, yeah. They're not. Right. And right. so like now, listen, now, I, like I'm willing to concede maybe the progressives are right. Maybe they're all right. Maybe it's all there. It's all true. Maybe the worst thing in America is white supremacy. Maybe that's really what needs to be undone. Maybe that's mm-hmm. all true. Yeah. And maybe maybe we're about to enter the millennium because this is where everything is going. Okay, right. I don't think that, but maybe that's right. true, right? Yeah. But l- let's not. But that's that's an argument for like what's going to happen, what's good or bad, true or false. Let's not kid ourselves historically in terms mm-hmm. of like what is actually going on in America, which is all of the controlling institutions have lurched dramatically towards progressivistic ideology that is highly secularized. Mm-hmm. And is in many ways antagonistic to historical Christian belief, mm-hmm. the fundamental focus on personal morality and things that were an enormous part of how people imagined themselves living as Christians mm-hmm. for a very long time. Yes. 
Now, I think that there are ways in which Christians could be better Christians being informed by progressivism. Like, I think there's a lot of conservatives that really don't care about the poor. They just, they act like they do. They say some stuff, but they don't really care about people who are poor. All they care about is, is they'll say, well, we could make an economy that has more opportunities, but they don't literally care about the person who is in poverty who does need help, right? Mm -hmm. So I think there are some ways in which progressivism could, quote, help us. Right. But I think it's in a package that is that is irreligiously poisoned. Yeah. And I do not believe, I, I believe that it's like, I believe it's what Satan always does when people right. move towards reform is he says, okay, let's keep moving in this direction, but let me poison the reform. Well, I was like, going to say, I think in some ways the civil rights movement was the, a move of God, but I think oh, just yeah. like the, like a lot of movements like the charismatic movement. And I would even argue the religious right. Like I would argue that the religious right in some way, when it began in the seventies was a move of God. Right. And then, I mean, Jonathan Edwards says this about the Great Awakening. <laughs> He's like, it was this great move of God, and then the flesh got into it, got and the, yeah. the devil got into it, and it turned it into this this, mm -hmm. this thing that wasn't as good, and ultimately until it just ended and it just came apart. Well, it's it's like it Acts too. It, it's it's going great. Three chapters later, Ananias and um, right, Sapphira die. Sapphira die, and like there's yeah. corruption, right? It's like, oh, this is fantastic, right? And, and then, then right and then the very next chapter, there's racism. Yeah. Like in chapter six, there's yeah. like, there's like Greek widows aren't getting the food that the Hebrew widows are getting. Yeah. Right. And it's like racism. And you're like, what the frick? Like two, two yeah. chapters ago, Things everybody shared great. everything yeah. in common. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. So people forget that human beings are so corruptible, even when they mm -hmm. want to do what's good. Right? Well, this is, the, this so is, I, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. So I think one of the things we have to, I think Christians need, I think there's a lot of liberal Christians and progressivist Christians that need to just wake up and be honest about the way the culture is moving. The culture is not becoming more conservative. It's not like we're not in danger of like, what's that, what's that like really dumb show that like postulates like this totalitarian Christian future where every woman has to dress as handmaid's tale. I think it is. Yes. Yep, yeah. Yep. It's like the idea that that's the direction we're going is so profoundly laughable mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that only if you live in some kind of progressivist echo chamber, could you possibly imagine that right. we're on the verge of that? Right. Which like, a lot of them insane. do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we're on like, the it's, verge it's not just of America. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's, just like, it's not just the United States. It's Europe. It's yeah. Canada. Right. It's like, world organization it's like it's like all the universities it's all the news media like it's like right the idea that you have to punch down to this minority of people who believe that bourgeois values and christian faith is good like it's it's just right. boggles the mind yes it's you know it's like you can't admit you're winning but there are reasons for that though because there are ways in the culture war in which conservatives have won significant victories at least in ways that progressives can point to like having a majority of the court mm -hmm. right so if you're a progressive, you'd be saying, well, look at the Supreme Court. And then you'd be right to do that. You'd yeah. be like, that's true. Mm -hmm. Right? There's more conservative appointees on the Supreme Court. Yeah. So I just, but I do think it's, I do think you have to say like, because I know a lot of progressive Christians that literally can't let themselves believe that five-year-olds are being taught crazy secular gender ideology There's in schools right now. In Madison. They, and they're like, they're like, yeah. that's not really happening. And they're not, the reason that they're naive yeah. is because they are ideologically naive. Mm-hmm. Right. So oh, like, I, like, I'm not that, saying that makes that progressivism false. It's right. not. No, it doesn't. Progressivism has plenty of good ideas. There's there's plenty of things that I could be like, yeah, that's a good idea if done in the right way. Mm -hmm. But you got to look at, you've got to see the soup. Like you've got to see the cultural milieu mm -hmm. in order to understand the times. Yeah. And the times that we live in are is utilizing a form of progressivism and right. a form of alt-rightness, but just on a much smaller scale. Right. 
to secularize and, and make people irreligious by making religious faith in Christ and the pursuit of virtue in Christ mm-hmm. preposterous for multiple reasons, mm-hmm. right? And it's offering progressivism and its ideologies as the main alternate worldview. Well, and I think I think adding on to that, the, the prog- progressive Christians, I think, need to also ask themselves, what are they progressing from and what are they progressing towards? As yes, and and are you or what are biblically speaking, you know, what what are we progressing from? I mean, we're progressing from a dependence on something else to full dependent to full independence on ourselves, which would well, that's what that's what progressives always talk. That's what people are always right. talking. They're like, we need to we need to like heighten right. the human. We need to perfect the human being. We need to be our God. The the and that always happens through the group. It's always happening yes, through the but, group. But Andy, I think it's really important to recognize that that is an American idea. Sure. That like the, the, the I mean, this gets back to like the fraughtness of the foundation of America. So like America was founded right on Judeo Christian, like a Judeo Christian um, cultural basis interpreted through British common law Anglo Saxonism connected to enlightenment ideology. Yeah. And so when progressives say we need to free ourselves from the shackle of the supervision mm-hmm. of preceding ideology. Yeah, they're they're just... that is an enlightenment idea. That is fundamental to America's founding. Mm-hmm. I mean th- Thomas Jefferson believed in that. Mm-hmm. And to a certain extent almost all the founding fathers mm-hmm. like weren't Christianly doctrinaire. Like they had faith, but Adams was the closest to what we would call a biblical Christian. Mm-hmm. But like Washington didn't go to church. Right. I mean, he, he believed he was religious, but he, he believed in this strange enlightenment, like intermixing mm-hmm. that clearly is not workable in the modern world right. because people have moved in opposite directions. They've either said that Judeo Christian view of humanity rooted in an Anglo-Saxon common law, the rule of law, not the rule of men that creates a free liberal society mm-hmm. or this secularized enlightenment. We need to come out of the supervision and we need to structure and form a better society progressively. We're polarizing into those two. We have not held together the tension of the founding. And the reason is, is because it was wrong. Well, my question the is, tension of the founding was wrong. Do you think then it's, it's like, okay, so then if, so then what's the pinnacle of, of, okay. So look at the garden. You have, you have Adam and Eve and they're like, yeah, we just, I mean the, basically the, the bottom line of that was they disobeyed God because they wanted to be gods themselves. They wanted to see what God could see without having the ability to do that. Mm-hmm. Now that they become their own gods and they're get kicked out. And so like, like, yeah. Do you think that this like progressing towards the ultimate human self individually, me being perfect, if everybody's doing that in a non-biblical way, not through Jesus Christ, because the world is set up in a, hierarchical patriarchy, like patriarchy in a lot of ways, not, not, not in a negative way. I'm saying this in a positive, it's just naturally every room you go into and people, you know, listen to Jordan Peterson for five minutes and he'll talk about this, but every room you go into, it's like, if I go into a room with 20 other people, it will within, within, you know, an hour or two, some way, in some way set itself out in these hierarchies. Who's in charge in that room? Who's beneath them? It's less than a minute. Really? Because all you could do is smell pheromones and look at body language, and it's over. Right. Exactly. Less than a minute. And so, so here's my question. Yeah. And it is, develops, but yeah. Is this? But it, but it's also true. Progressives are also true that hierarchies are profoundly corruptible. Mm-hmm. And so you do get you do get patriarchies where things aren't just led by the men, but they're done by for the sake of the man. Right. Right. You do get forms of expectations on femininity that are degrading the females. You do get racism. Absolutely. You do get all these yeah. things. Right. 
And so progressives are right in saying our corruptibility in hierarchy is profound, mm -hmm. right? Where Peterson says they're wrong is that they think they can get rid of hierarchies altogether and that that's the remedy. And, and he's like, dude, lobsters have hierarchies. Like every you can't, cre yeah, every creature you has can't, hierarchies. You I, can't get rid of right. That's the whole right. question. You can't actually, even though the progressives are. I think he's are, right about that. Mm -hmm. But I think pro what progressives would, what most progressives would say is, if we're going to have hierarchies, they have to be hierarchies of merit. And because of white supremacy, we we don't have that. Right. And so not until we reckon with all of the su sub corruptions, because mm -hmm. if you say, well, what as a progressive, what do you think white supremacy is? And they would say a form of corruption. Mm -hmm. Right. So, yes, there's going to be hierarchies. But if the hierarchy is rooted in race rather than merit or something else, then it's it's by definition a corruption of the hierarchy. Mm -hmm. So a conservative in principle would say, I'm 100 percent with you. Mm hmm. When people on the left then say, here's the evidence of white supremacy, right? Here, like, oftentimes conservatives are like, that's not good, really good evidence. <laughs> yeah. Right? Does that make sense? So, but, yeah. so like, like, ideologically speaking, I'm 100% on board with white supremacy. Practically speaking, in terms of its examples, because I want to be like, okay, great. I believe in white supremacy because I believe all hierarchies are going to be corrupted. White people have been the incumbents. Yeah. Incumbents when you say you're corrupt. in support of white supremacy, so, you're saying you're in support of the idea of white the idea that it exists yeah not right. that you yeah. support I'm, like, I'm on board with you progressive person with this idea of because i like if you have a, a particular racial group that it has been the incumbent like, like look look at politics who are the richest people getting rich off government like mm -hmm. is there anybody in government more than 10 years that doesn't double their wealth of any party <laughs> they more than no. double Everybody their wealth does. yeah oh yeah <laughs> right and what, what is that that's incumbency you get into power mm -hmm. and then even while you believe you're being benevolent, mm -hmm. you still personally enrich yourself, right. which leads to corruption, right? Mm -hmm. So if white people have been predominantly in charge, right, and they have done that on the basis partly or in some percentage on race, mm -hmm. there's going to be some corruption of hierarchy of, of incumbency built into that hierarchy and how that functions. Now, right. the question is, if we want to correct it, we don't just kill all the white people right. any more than we would kill all the Democrats or mm -hmm. get rid of a representative government. What we do is we go or okay, do what they or kill or enslave all of the black people, which was something that was right. Like that was the answer before in 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 the opposite sense, and it doesn't work. Not nothing like that works. Like right. you don't just enslave or kill a whole group of people to solve the the uh, it's the systemic issue that you see. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and so and so in that sense, I think, and so there that's been it fits and starts right mm -hmm. and. Um, I think that I, I like one of the main themes in critical race theory is a lot of actions white people did was just enough to shut back black people up, mm -hmm. but not enough to make a difference. Okay, LBJ literally said that. Mm -hmm. Like he literally said, "There's all these black rabble rousers. We need to give them something, but not so much that it'll change things, but enough to shut them up." He, I mean, right. literally said that. Okay, mm -hmm. so it's not like that's not partly true. The problem is, is that people on the left are just as given to simplistic answers. As, and so everybody yeah. wants to wave around their one thingism mm -hmm. and go, oh, it's white supremacy is, is yeah. the reason for everything, which is false. Right. But I mean, as a person who's trying to not be possessed and controlled by a particular ideological thing, I'm, I, I mean, I, I read some of this stuff and I want to know where if there are ways in which there is like white incumbency bias, mm -hmm. like we, we do need to find that and get rid of it. And I, I'm willing to listen to progressive folks. Because those are the people who are interested in researching it. You get, get rid of and it I think, to the extent. I tend to think eight out of ten. To yeah. the extent of like, is it even 
to the extent that it's possible, because I think that like what we're progressives get get caught up and I don't see this happening on the conservative side is I think progressives literally believe in, in utopia that like utopia can be created and conservatives have some sense of, of, of morality and, and, and you know, and it's, they're losing it. Cause if you talk about some uh, depravity, total depravity with conservatives, some of them will get pissed off, but there seems to be no, no sense in the modern conservative that, that they could, possibly be sinful in any capacity or like that their what their just desires of their heart could possibly be wrong or off or bad right and so right. they they try to reach for utopia yeah. rather than and i was going to say that ultimately do you think that this all comes down to self-reflection because i think that the inability oh. for people to honestly reflect on on where they are as we talked about the, the hierarchy exists no matter what. And so you can deny it or you can accept it, but it's always going to be there. And a person who's only focusing inwardly selfishly on myself and making myself better, will they will, they will climb that hierarchy if they're, if they have the capacity to, and they'll get to the top of it and they will tyrannize everybody beneath them right, on the right or on the left. And however, in whatever way that they get there, the, the, the individual question is, and the thing that the unique um, responsibility that we have in the United States is that we can actually prevent somebody from climbing the, the hierarchy by not voting them into power. And so yeah. to reflect and on voting them out, if they, if they don't out. seem to be acting in good faith. Right. Yeah. And so reflect and being able to reflect on ourselves, as we talked about earlier in virtue saying like, okay, what, what virtues do I have? And what are the many that I lack and being able to ref honestly reflect on ourselves and then that giving us the capacity to reflect on our leaders, giving us the ability to say, no, this person shouldn't be involved in politics or yes, I trust this person to govern our, our state or our country. That, that seems to be the, the question. And that seems to be the, the question that nobody wants to answer. Nobody wants to talk about, well, Oh, sh should I self-reflection seems to be a death wish for people. It's like, I, yeah. they, they're not even capable of doing it. It's not that they're, that it's even a death wish. It's like, Okay, you ask a young person, "Hey, what's going on in your life, or what's wrong? Is there anything wrong in your life?" They can't even answer. They're like, "Uh, I don't like." Yeah. They can't answer. It's like it's actually yeah. It's I mean, scary. Bertrand Russell, Bertrand Russell said in the fifties, I think, that most people would rather die than think. In fact, most do. Yes, but there, there's also been some talk about parenting that over-involved parenting. That one of its major negative issues is um, grit in facing difficulty, especially when it includes serious concentration, mm -hmm. especially when that serious concentration is self-reflection. Yeah. So like the very <laughs> thing necessary to be virtuous in this kind of society is the very thing over-involved parenting mm -hmm. makes the most unlikely for somebody to be able to do. Mm -hmm. And so that, that gets back to things as basic as our parenting models. Yeah. Well, and, and I think, you I think talk, it's important. Yeah, go ahead. I think it's also important to recognize as Christians that everybody is right. You know, like, so mm -hmm. like politically speaking, progressives are right mm -hmm. about certain things mm -hmm. and that's what's driving their the rest of their ideology that i think is false okay libertarians are also right mm -hmm. that coercion is a fundamental evil you know progressives are right is the hierarchies are more corrupt than you think they are and a lot of people are disenfranchised because of it that's correct mm -hmm. maybe not to the proportion they say maybe not in the ways that they say but um incumbency covers up the amount of corruption in the hierarchies. Yeah. The libertarians are right that we're coercing other people to do stuff and we have no right to do that. Mm -hmm. They're right about that, mm -hmm. right? Conservatives are saying, listen, if you don't build um, a fundamental um, civilization built on civility mm -hmm. and um, 
in like traditions and structures of human being that the by the barbarians will tear apart your city mm-hmm. and the uncivilized right. will destroy civilization that is correct yeah right and the liberals say listen if we can't talk with each other if we can't be fundamentally civil and let other people do what they want and then let us do what we want, but still be engaged with them in a shared society. Mm-hmm. We can't progress. We can't find the truth. And they're right. And so part of the structure is, is that we all want to be like, well, this is right or that's right. And so that one's wrong. The problem is that everybody's right. Right. The difficulty is figuring out how we can all be right together. Mm-hmm. Which is politics. In terms of choosing what to do, which is politics. Yeah. And I think where conservatives are more right than other people conservatives and libertarians is is that the less that is won and lost in government the more the incentives are correct locally within the economy of free exchange Mm -hmm. and in shared civil society where all the incentives are better than in politics where there's more of a direct line to becoming corrupt Mm -hmm. and so the idea that to be less corrupt requires a smaller centralized government that doesn't have market incentives right. is fundamental. Mm-hmm. And so in that, that's one of the reasons why if you make me choose what I am, I would say I'm more of a conservative liberal than anything else. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that I think progressives are just like, just always wrong. I think that there's, I think when they say to me, Nick, I don't think you really care about the people who are actually poor mm-hmm. and what their life is like, you know, they're half right about that. And I have to grapple with that in self-reflection Yeah. and figure out what that's going to mean for me as I try to live as a virtuous person, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And that when, when I stop listening to them, I will become self-satisfied in that because I believe in open markets, I believe in free opportunity right. because I believe in opportunity. I believe everybody's equal because I believe everybody's equal. I don't have to care about the people mm-hmm. who are not succeeding and who are living lives there that I would, I would have compassion for them if they were in my family or my tribe, if they right. were in my 150 people. Right. I know that because when they're at my church, I do help them. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and so the, the other part of that, and this will be the last part that I think I, we, that okay that, yeah we need to wrap up yeah we have to wrap up but i think that it also it, this is like i talk about this i think you talk about this a lot but just the the understanding from the christian perspective of i think the way to interact with politics is the is you know the answer is is how do you interact with yourself and how can you self-reflect and i think where self-reflection starts is with an understanding of your foundation and like the importance of understanding that you're a sinner and that your your first your initial conclusion probably won't be the right answer to the question and just because you're just a sinner and so am I and so it's like whatever I come to first probably isn't going to be the best the best solution right out the gate and I think for younger people the, the understanding that I'm a sinner breeds that breeds humility which which also which okay. ultimately re, uh, results in a fear of God and an understanding for, uh, an understanding of His supremacy over all things. Like to be humble yeah. and that self, ref- yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and that self reflection in humility, like you're saying, that's increasingly theologically and humanly informed, mm-hmm. is the thing that helps you sniff out the sort of person mm-hmm. that you should encourage to be your, a leader of yours. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't do that and you don't understand your own depravity and how people go wrong and how people go right and pursue virtue, then you can't sniff it out. One of the right. things that really saddened me about Christians in the 2016 election with Trump and Hillary Clinton yeah. was that so many people had the capacity to sniff out the immorality and lack of virtue in Donald Trump, mm-hmm. which I think was eminently available and perfectly um 
criticized, able to be criticized, but they 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 couldn't discern it in Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. They like they looked at her and they didn't see as rapacious. Like they could see that that Trump behaved like a King Lear, that he was vain mm-hmm. and he was self-aggrandizing right. and he didn't listen to people he should and he fought for himself when he should have lived. Like they saw that and they're like, oh, that's bad guy, right? <laughs> and they couldn't tell that Hillary Clinton was a Macbeth who was like conniving and mm-hmm. cutting and mm-hmm. would tell you what you wanted to hear and but like would do whatever she wanted and was actually moving you in a direction and conniving and manipulating mm-hmm. you in everything that she did. And that that was just as wicked at least uh, yeah, as right. Donald Trump. Right. And like these people like are, bef- I see, I know Christians are just befuddled when I point that out and I'm like, listen, to see Donald Trump was a bad person was that was like being a moral kindergartner. Yeah. Right. Like people right. behave like that was some kind of profundity, mm-hmm. right? To see that Hillary Clinton was just as bad is like the third grade level. Right. Of moral virtuous capacity and right. seeing in others. And if you want to graduate, we need to yeah. graduate from high school yeah. at least where you have to understand. And that's, that's right. That, that type of attitude probably re- results in a person who's not, able to understand their own wickedness and they can't they they look at trump and that's and it's funny because i had those same conversations it was like i've had them recently it's like oh yeah like, like trump is the worst blah 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 and it's like okay that's 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 fine in them talking about how bad trump is a lot of these people would use similar if not the same exact ways of talking about trump that trump would talk about other people that would lead them to believe that trump was a bad person and so it was yeah. like dude are you not realizing this like have you do you not can you not see that you're actually acting the exact same way that donald trump was acting in that you're insulting people treating them like garbage and making them inhuman and you're doing you're making trump inhuman and it's like it, i don't know it just blew my mind it's like the yeah. irony I mean, in the it's conversation like people who can't see through the can't see through fact checking yeah i mean that, that always like kind of boggles my mind that like you can't see through that like right yeah i, I mean it's yeah. such an obvious form of manipulation mm-hmm. to be like well i'm the fact checker you have to believe me it's like what you think if you put on a white hat i'm gonna think that yes. you just like no you have to have if you want me to believe you you better have a couple of decade mm-hmm. track record Right. Of being objective, including saying things that are that don't go in your direction, mm-hmm. that people on your side don't like you for, like, right, right. I mean, one of the reasons people trust me at our church is I say stuff about me and what I'm doing that they could use against me all the time, right. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, well, look, if Nick's willing to just say all that stuff, then he's probably telling us the truth. Yeah, you know, but and there's people, but politicians who, don't do that for mm-hmm. a lot of reasons. Some of those reasons are good reasons, <laughs> Yeah. but right. So yeah, I do. I do agree with you. And I agree with John Adams. I agree with Edmund Burke. I agree with all these people in the great tradition who say there's no hope for a people who aren't virtuous. Yeah. There's no, there's just isn't. Mm-hmm. And I think Christians need to understand that before they see themselves as a donkey or a elephant or a whatever. Mm-hmm. And that they need to apply the, Christ, the general Christian principles before they get too high on their particular right. political mm-hmm. high horse. Right. And I think we you just, did, I did a podcast with Scott Jensen on my other podcast and it, it the way the guy on and he said, look in the, look in the mirror before you go look out the window. And mm-hmm. I think that that's, I mean, if you want to know, to answer the question of this podcast, if you want to know how to interact with politics, just learn how to interact with yourself and like learn how to reflect on yourself honestly and look at the Bible as a mirror rather than a window into what everybody else's problems are rather than there. Here's some of my problems and 
and understanding the gospel and knowing that these problems and these issues and your sin it's taken care of by Christ. I think, I think that that's, I think that that's how you interact with politics. Cause I think I don't care where your outcome is. I don't care if you, if you end up being extremely left-wing, if you're able to self-reflect, I can respect where you're coming from. And if I'm able to self-reflect, we might come to a different conclusion, which is like the beauty of humanity is that we, God created so many different people um, with, yeah. di- with different outcomes. But yeah. yeah, I, I think Jordan Peterson's right. That a lot of the left-right divide is rooted in temperament and gender. Yes. Yeah. I that, agree. That like yeah. So, some people are, are like, well, we've got to help kind of temper. Right. It's just their temperament. Yeah. It has nothing to do with rationality or yeah. science or anything. Right. And so they're always going to be around unless we kill everybody who's not like us. Yeah. So like you got to grow up. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And like realize that people look at the world in different ways. And people are different than you. Sort out. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. And they see like, I mean, people, I mean, some of the people who won't listen to progressives who are conservatives won't listen to their wife either. <laughs> Yeah, it's not a virtue, right? So yeah, I mean, yeah. I agree with that. I, now I do think there are a lot of conceptual ways we could do other podcasts on this, mm-hmm. of like how to think about our relationship with government as Christians, separationist, fusionist, all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. But I I do think that a personal moral reckoning towards virtue and l- grappling with the truths of Scripture, and then in humility, looking for virtue in others mm-hmm. who honestly tells the truth and acts virtuously, and then keeping track of your track record on your your judgment of others, <laughs> like. Yeah. Your, like your moral, your, your assess, your, your discernment, how good yeah. are you at discerning stuff Right, is important. It's one of the reasons why people who are older are kind of like, I'm not going to be taken in by that again. Yeah. Like I've been, I've been through mm-hmm. this like three cycles. Yeah. Like I, I get it, you know? Yeah. So, all right. Well, I guess, I mean, you've got to leave that somewhere. Yeah. Well, but I do, do think that personal reckoning yeah. has to precede a more sophisticated understanding of faith and politics. Yeah, I agree. So, and yeah, we, we will probably do more podcasts all around this, around this topic in the future, but um anyways that's it for today thank you all for listening um make sure to share like subscribe comment whatever and we'll see you guys all in the next one goodbye